Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We are in a series called Fully. In this series on whole life stewardship, we are learning what it means to give every area of our lives fully to Jesus. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, everybody. So glad you can join us as we kick off this new series. And of course, when you think of somebody to model the t-shirts, there was only one logical choice. Um, So here you go. Growing up as a pastor's kid, by the way, if you had told me that I'd be wearing a t-shirt going to church some Sunday, I would have laughed in your face. Uh, But here we are wearing a t-shirt from the stage, no less. But we really are excited about this series. And the reason for that is because this is who we have been as a church for as long as I can remember. And it's who we want to be as a church heading into the future. And so if you want to know what we're all about here, this is what it is. It's about this idea of fully. I'll explain that in a second here. But as I was thinking about how to start this series off, I was thinking back to the pictures I showed on Christmas Eve. I know not all of you were necessarily here for that, but I showed three pictures of three responses that we can have towards Jesus. Here's the the first response that we can have towards Jesus, right? Here's a person... Me, myself, and I, I'm sitting on the throne of my life, and I want nothing to do with Jesus. You might even be opposed to Jesus. Second picture looks more like this, and I think this is probably what describes most of our culture today, right? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Jesus has a part of my life, but I'm not going to let him have every part of my life. Like, I'm still going to sit on the throne of my life. I'm still going to lead my own life, my own way. Jesus is a part of it, but he's not all of it. And then last but not least, here is what fully looks like, right? Jesus sits on the throne of my life as Lord, and I serve him underneath that. And so that's what this is about. How do we start to live out that third picture if that is truly your heart's desire? How do we learn how to give ourselves fully, our throne, our lordship to Jesus most? And foremost, our vision here at Cherry Hills is pretty simple. We say we want to give ourselves fully to the way of Jesus and to his mission. And this series is all about how do we do that? It's what these seven weeks are. If you're following on your notes, in this series, we are learning what it means to give every area of our lives fully to Jesus. This is so important to us. Our middle schoolers are going to be joining us in the services for the next seven weeks. We got any middle schoolers here right now? There'll be, most of them will be at the 1030. Middle schoolers like to sleep in, right? But we're glad that you're here with us this morning. And then our kids downstairs, they're also going to be doing this series along with us. So listen, if you're a parent in this room, this could lead to some incredible opportunities for some meaningful conversations. So let's just get this out of the way. What does it even mean to say fully? Well, Webster has two meanings for the definition of fully. The first definition simply means completely or holy, right? Like the whole thing, not a part of it, not a section of it, all of it. This is what Jesus says we're to be about, right? When he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He responds with these words I have printed on your notes. Would you mind reading them out loud with me there? It says, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I think he pretty much covers our whole lives there, don't you? Love me with everything that you have, wholly and completely, not just a percent. That's a pretty good description of that third picture there. But the second way fully is defined, and I think this is so cool, it can be defined as to the brim 
or beyond measure. And the promise that Jesus gives to us is that when you give yourself fully to him, you will live life to the brim. Like that really is the best possible life for you to live. As he says in John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. And if you learn nothing else in this whole series, I hope you learn more, but my hope is that you learn this incredible idea. That's what Jesus wants for you. If you're just joining us, you're new, you're new to the faith. Here's what Jesus wants. He wants you to live a joyful, abundant, full life. But here's the thing. If you're falling on your notes, in order to live life to the full, we must first give ourselves fully. That third picture, that's what it means to give ourselves fully to Jesus. And his promise is when you do that, that's when you will really live life to the full. And so back to my original question, what would keep you, what would keep me from giving myself fully to Jesus? In my opinion, it comes down to this fatal mistake that we've made, especially in the Western world, where we have separated our spiritual lives from the rest of our lives, right? We've created categories that don't actually exist in the Bible of sacred and secular. But you cannot find those categories anywhere in Scripture. Maybe a couple pictures will help explain what I mean. Another couple pictures. Here's what I think most people think of when they think of their lives. It's a pie, and there's different slices of my life in that pie, right? I've got my entertainment, sports, friends. I got my body. I got my work. I got my money. And then I give God my spiritual life a slice of the pie. I think that's where many people live today. But the difference is when we start to give ourselves fully, our lives look more like this second picture. There are no categories, There's no secular things that I do without God. God is over all of these things. He doesn't just get a slice. He gets the whole thing. And the phrase we have used around here for many, many years to describe that right there is whole life stewards. We want to learn together how to be whole life stewards. So important is this idea to us that it's one of our five core values as a church family. You can see here, I think, Right down there, whole life stewards. We're learning to give everything that we have and everything that we are to Jesus. That's what it means to be fully committed to him. Now, we don't use that word steward much anymore. So what is a steward exactly? Well, a steward is somebody who says, nothing that I have, nothing that I am actually belongs to me. It's on loan to me from God. And this includes some of the things we're going to address in this series. We're going to talk about how our minds belong to God. Our bodies belong to God. Our time belongs to God. Our relationships belong to God. Our money, uh uh-oh, yep, our money belongs to God. Our spiritual gifts belong to God. All of this belongs to God. It's simply on loan to us from him, and he calls us to be his stewards of these things. If you're following on your notes, a whole life steward understands everything we have and are belongs to the Lord. This completely flies against our culture, especially in America, right? We are taught at an early age that we are self-made What is mine is mine. And Jesus says, sorry, it couldn't be more different if you choose to follow me as your disciple, as my disciple. Disciples recognize that everything is actually his. Nothing belongs to me permanently. And he then expects us to use what he's given us for his glory and for his kingdom. 
And this morning, I'm just going to set the background of what this series is going to look like with a little parable that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 25 to help us understand what stewardship would really look like for us if I chose to give myself fully to Jesus. So if you haven't already, I invite you to take your Bible. If you brought it with you, turn it to Matthew chapter 25. We're starting in verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, we say it every week. We got Bibles in the seat underneath you there. Love for you to grab one of those. If you don't have a Bible, take that Bible home with you. I think this is a great passage to be in the word yourself. There might be some things you want to mark or you might want to circle. It's a passage I've taught before, but honestly, I need to be reminded of this every single day of my life because it's so easy for me to forget this life does not belong to me. It belongs to Christ. So a little context, Matthew 25, this whole chapter, Jesus gives three parables in order to prepare his disciples for his departure and his eventual return. Jesus is coming again. And this chapter is all about how we can be prepared for that day. And so we're going to look at the second of those three parables together. And one other thing about parables, parables are simply stories that are making a point. But we got to be careful with parables because there's not always this one-to-one comparison with the characters in the parables to what we want to make. In other words, there's a master in this parable. And our tendency would be to say, that's who God is. And there's certainly going to be comparisons and likenesses to God in this story, but we can't always with parables make these one-to-one comparisons. So I just want to be careful about that because some people have taken this parable and seen a vision of God that isn't necessarily true of who he is. There are ways he'll be like the master. There's ways he is not like the master. And with all that in mind, can we read verse 14 together out loud? He's speaking to his disciples about his departure, and he says... It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Let's pause. Very important to understand right right away. This is a softball question. Who does the wealth belong to? The master or the servants? Lame. Come on. Master of the servants. Thank you. Man, you guys need to wake up today, huh? The master is the owner, the servant is the steward. And friends, if you are a follower of Jesus here, you got to understand everything belongs to him. He is the master. He is the Lord. You'll never get this stewardship thing right unless you get that settled in your mind. If you're following on your notes, ownership is a myth. Stewardship is the reality. Do you live that way? Do you live thinking everything that I have, everything that I am, belongs to the Lord? It reminds me of one of my favorite stories. I've shared this before, but I like it so much, I'll share it again. There was a woman who was grocery shopping. She came out to her car to load her groceries, and she noticed that two men were in her car robbing her car. She pulled out a handgun from her purse, and she forced these two men to get out of the car, and they do, and they run away as far as they can get. She loads her groceries in the car. She's obviously a little bit shaken at this point, and she goes to turn the key on, and it doesn't work. For some reason, her key is not working in this car. She pauses and looks over to the right and notices there's a car exactly like the one she's sitting in right next to her. She realizes this isn't actually my car. This car belongs to someone else. 
And similarly, sometimes we think all this stuff we have, and we have a lot of stuff in this country, belongs to us. But it actually belongs to someone else. A whole life steward is somebody who says, none of this. None of this actually belongs to me. It's been entrusted to me by somebody else. Verse 15, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. Now, a little more background here. We don't always have one-to-one comparisons when it comes to currency uh, in different cultures. So what is the amount of money we're talking about here? But one of the units of this would basically be equal to 20 years worth of nice paying wages in our culture. And so listen, the guy getting these five bags of gold is essentially getting 100 years worth of wages, pre-tax even. I mean, this is an incredible investment that the owner is making in these servants. And what we're talking about here is something that no one would ever expect to happen, right? And if I'm one of the servants and this happened to me, and I'm going to tell you right now, this is the key to understanding this parable. This would be seen not as a burden, as many people have taken it to be, but as an incredible and generous opportunity. If you're following on your notes, this wasn't a burden, but a staggering and genesis or generous opportunity. This is a statement from this master of his confidence in his servants. And the servants would be sitting there thinking, wow, my master really believes in me and trusts me. And the same is true for us today. It's the heart of this series. As God's stewards, you've been entrusted with his resources. You've been given time. You've been given money. You've been given relationships. You've been given a body. You've been given a mind. Whatever it is you have, he has given that to you confidently, believing in you and trusting you as his steward, that you will use all those things, not for yourself, but for him and his glory. Now, I don't know about you. Like I said, I got to come back to this every single day because it's so easy for me to get trapped into this mentality like, wow, all the stuff I need or all the stuff that I have, how am I going to keep this all for myself when the reality is so much different? It's his. And it's a privilege for me to be able to view life that way and give myself to him fully for his glory. Now, one other thing about verse five, I know as Americans, we read that and say, that's not fair, right? Why does one guy get five, one guy get two, and one only get one. Well, the text tells us, he says, the text says, the master knew exactly what each one of his servants could handle. And he does not want to burden them with something they can't do. You know what we call that? Grace. He's showing the servants grace here. And what I want to say to you, if you're sitting here and you were raised up in a religious church with tons of rules to follow, we can start to feel a little bit of shame and guilt when we start reading these things. But I just want to speak grace over you and say, God will never demand anything from you that he hasn't already given you. God will always provide exactly what you can handle. He does, however, ask that you will use whatever you have for his sake, and for his glory. We don't all have equal stuff here, right? But we all have something. And God's ask for us, if you're following on your notes, is that God's not expecting equal return, but equal effort. I had to learn the story in college. I worked three jobs in order to pay my way through college. And one of the things I just kept feeling like, I need to start tithing. You know what my excuse was? 
what is that drop in the bucket going to do for this church that I was going to? It's literally just like a little drop in the bucket. And I was praying about that, and I realized it doesn't matter that it's a drop in the bucket because it's not about the amount I'm giving. It's about my heart. It's about whether or not I will see what I'm making as mine or as belonging to the person who has given to me. He is looking at our hearts above all else. So let's look at what these stewards do with this opportunity as the text continues. Verse 16. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. I love this, right? He went out at once. Of course he did. This is the opportunity of a lifetime, and boy, does he make the most of it. He understands, hey, just because I was given this doesn't mean it's supposed to stay in my hands. I'm supposed to go and invest this, and he doubles what the master had given to him. He knew this money didn't belong to him, so he goes to work. Verse 17, so also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. No wonder the master trusted these servants with so much, right? They must have invested in Amazon stocks in the mid-90s or something. (laughs) Double return, man. We're happy with 7%, right? Verse 18, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Huh. And we don't learn until later why he does this, but let's just put it this way. He wants nothing to do with the responsibility or the opportunity that his master had given to him. So he buries the money and he just moves on with his life. Thank you so much for what you've given me, but no thanks. To go back to those pictures, this is a perfect picture of that second picture, right? I have the master in my life, but I'm gonna sit on the throne. I'm gonna do what I want with what I've been given. Does this ever happen today? Do people ever bury, so to speak, the gifts that God has given them? Of course It can happen all the time in our lives when I think this is for me. This is mine. This belongs to me, and I'm going to use it how I want to use it. Or I'm just going to say, I'll give Jesus a slice of the pie, but no more. If you're following on your notes, our job is to make the most of what we've been given. This servant didn't. And in verse 19, we come to the heart of this parable, right? Three parables about Jesus returning. Let's read it out loud together there. It says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. That term settled accounts indicates he expected something. I didn't just give you this so you would do nothing with it. I expected you to do something, so let's settle accounts. And in a very similar way, we don't like talking about this today, but the Bible is very clear. We will all stand before the Lord one day and settle accounts with him. You may or may not know there's going to be two judgments at the end of time. The first is simply the great white judgment, where white throne judgment, where there's one question. What'd you do with Jesus? It's the only question. And then there's a second judgment. It's actually called a judgment of rewards, which just sounds so weird to us today. But it's the chance for us to settle accounts with God, where he will ask us, what'd you do with all the stuff that I gave you in life? I can't wait to reward you for that. You're like, I don't like that idea. I know I don't, but we all truly believe this is how it should be. If you were to invest some money into your retirement and you came back to settle accounts with your broker and he said, oh, I just put this under the drawer here. Here you go. You'd be like, what? You're telling me for the last 40 years what I gave you has been sitting in your desk? 
And it's the same way, right? We'll stand before God and he'll say, what'd you do? What'd you do with the incredible opportunities that I've given to you? If you're following on your notes, we'll all be asked, how did you invest your life for my glory? What'd you do with the money I gave you? What'd you do with the spiritual gifts I gave you? What'd you do with the body that I gave you? What'd you do with the mind that I gave you? What'd you do with the children that I gave you? What'd you do with the spouse that I gave you? What'd you do with the friends that I gave you? All of those things have been entrusted to us and he will settle accounts with us. How would you answer that question today? Are you stewarding your life for him? Or are you burying what he's given you and living for yourself? Well, here's the good news. And to me, this is really the whole point of this parable. Please don't think that God is up in heaven and he can't wait to catch us not living up to his standards. That is a wrong image of God, a false image of God. The right image of God is that if you're falling on your notes, God's desire is to reward us with greater blessing. This is the heart of this parable. He can't wait for that second judgment, so to speak, because he can't wait to reward us for a life well lived. Look at verse 20. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. Now read verse 21 out loud on your notes with me there. It says, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I'll continue. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. Can you see how excited they are? His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Can you imagine one day standing before your Lord and hearing those words? Do you long for that? Well done. I'm so proud of you. Way to go. You have a life well lived. I, I couldn't be happier. We all crave that kind of affirmation. And that's okay, right? Nice hit, says the little league coach. Great paper, says the high school teacher. Great project, says your boss at work. These are great things, right? It's exciting. I'm still waiting for the day when I hear great message from Pastor Brian after 20 years. But uh, hopefully one day that will happen for me. But listen, if you're a Christian, when all is said and done... What are you living for? The idea here is that we should be living for, well done, way to go. I'm so proud of you for the way you stewarded all that I gave for you. And I hope you hear above everything else today. That's God's desire for you. He cannot wait for you to stand before him to say, awesome job. Well done. Come now and share even more in my happiness with you. I've got so much more in store for you than this piddly little life that lasts like that. One of the things I love about these verses is he affirms, the master affirms to these two servants that they've been faithful with. You see what it said there? What does it say? A few things. What a joke. We're talking a hundred years worth of wages, but for the master, it ain't nothing. I got so much more in store for you. This is a ridiculous amount of money. But listen, 
It's nothing compared for what awaits you now. I don't know what you picture heaven to be like. Do you picture us sitting on clouds playing harps forever? If that's what you picture, I would dread that. Harps, not even a good instrument. Sorry. Who wants that? I think one of the greatest lies that Satan has led us to believe, especially in the Western culture, is that's what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be boring. It's going to be monotonous. And so why wouldn't we invest our lives to get the best out of the life we have here now on earth? Why wouldn't I live for that world? Thankfully, that's not what the Bible says about heaven. In fact, if you believe what the Bible says about heaven, the thought of heaven should fill us with anticipation and excitement beyond imagine. Not only will heaven be a place of rest and relief, no more pain, no more tears. Some of us need to hear that after yesterday's funeral, right? It'll be a place without any of those things. But listen, did you know that heaven will also be a place of great learning, great activities, unending joy, lots of artistic expression, exploration, discovery, deep friendships. And yes, as we see here, even the chance to serve the Lord in a greater capacity. Just think of it this way. It's everything good about this world times a million. New heaven and a new earth where we get to enjoy what God originally intended us to enjoy. If heaven is anything, it's not going to be boring. We good? Believe that? You want to live for that? I want to live for that. But here's the reality. The way we live our lives here on earth is going to determine our experience of eternity. It's going to determine it. God is watching the way we use our lives here on earth, and he does it through this program he calls stewardship. You've heard the saying probably, this is used a lot in funerals from John 14, right? Christ is preparing a place for us. You heard that? It's true. He's preparing a place for us. But if you're following on your notes, here's what this parable also reminds us. Jesus is preparing a place for us and preparing us for that place. And that's what this life here on earth is all about. It's this preparation for how we're going to spend our lives in eternity. And why would we waste it in a life that is simply a flash in the pan when we have all eternity waiting for us? Matthew said, Jesus said it pretty clearly in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. They don't last. They'll be in the dumpster soon where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. How do I store up treasures in heaven, Jesus? By being a steward of everything that I've given to you so that you can stand before me and I will say to you, well done, way to go. I'm proud of you. Now, I wish the parable ended there. But sadly, not everybody's gonna receive that kind of affirmation when they stand before the Lord. Look at verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, now just listen to this. I knew that you are a hard man Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Is that how you picture Jesus? So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Here we get the apparent reason why this third servant didn't invest what he had been given. He knew what was expected of him, but he said, I was afraid. I was afraid of you. You see what he's doing here? He's blaming the master for not doing anything. I know you gave me this opportunity. You shouldn't have. 
because you're a hard man and I can't please you. This is where the one-to-one comparisons do not come into play, right? That is not our God at all. This was a generous gift, an amazing opportunity, but instead of taking responsibility, he blames the master. He's entitled. He's self-centered here. Do we ever tend to do this? I just spilled coffee on my desk a couple weeks ago, got all over, and I blame the cup. (laughs) Stupid cup. Why did it have to be sitting on the edge of the desk there? Right? We all do this, right? Like, this isn't my problem. This isn't my fault. This is your problem. This is your fault. Why would you entrust this incredible opportunity to me? I never asked for it. The servant's response reveals something important to me. If you're following, the third servant didn't really know or love his master. He loved himself. He loved his life. He wanted nothing to do with the master. He is like this picture of himself on the throne that we've been looking at, right? With his master, Jesus, off to the side somewhere. Verse 26, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. You could have done something. I know this sounds harsh, but the truth is we'd have the same expectation as this. I love the illustration Randy Alcorn uses. He says, suppose you have something important you want to get to somebody who needs it. You wrap it up and hand it over to the UPS guy. What would you think if instead of delivering the package, he took it home, opened it, and kept it for himself? You'd say, this guy doesn't get it. The packages don't belong to him. He's just the middleman. His job is to get the package from you to the person you want to have it. The same is true here. Just because God put his resources in our hands doesn't mean he intends for them to stay there. The parable tells us that those who will be punished are those who live for themselves who put themselves on the throne and want nothing to do with God or Jesus or with what God has given to them. This parable tells us, friends, that one day they will stand before the Lord. And he will say, away from me. Verse 28, here we get it. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Oh, why? I'll get to that. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Let's not get riled up here, right? Why does the guy with the 10 get the more? Again, this seems so unfair to us. I want you to imagine you just hired an employee and they go above and beyond what you could imagine. What are you going to do with that employee? Give them more responsibility. You're going to give them more opportunity. And Jesus says it's the same, right? If you are stewarding well what I have given you in your life, get ready for even more opportunity more chances to be generous, more ways to bring me glory in and through your life. When you act faithfully with what he's given you, your capacity is going to grow and he will give you more and more, right? It's like working out. You eventually hope to start seeing muscles when you work out. And the more you work out, the more muscle you will grow. That's the same literal idea here. The more generous you are, the more you steward what he's given us, he's gonna give you more. And you will find that really is the most joyful way to live life. Not all about me, 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 but all about him. And he will give you more and more. And in verse 30, we we see the hard part of this. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the sobering part of this story. 
The fact is that God's desire is to reward us is a lifetime opportunity. That's the good news of the story. The accountability part of this story, though, that's the hard news of this story. Because there's this tendency, again, especially, I think, in our culture, where we just think, it'll all work out in the end. I'll be able to uh, worm my way out of this. I'll, I'll be able to explain my way out of this. I wish I could tell you that's in the Bible. It's just not. There's one before we will all stand, and he will say, let's settle accounts with everything I've given to you. His desire is to reward us in that moment. But for those who say, I want nothing to do with you, he will say, then have it your way. So as we close, I just ask you, how do you make sure you hear the words, well done? And it just comes back to this. You've got to start seeing your life as being on loan from Jesus. And then live that life for him and for his glory. Don't just give him a part. Give him the whole thing. You got one brief opportunity, right? Our lives are 70, 80, 90 years at most. And he says, I'm giving you the chance of a lifetime that will echo into eternity. It reminds me exactly of what the gladiator, Maximus, Decimus, Meridius once said. What we do in this life will echo in eternity. What you do with your life will echo in eternity. He's given you an amazing opportunity. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to hoard it? Are you going to bury it? Are you going to live for yourself? Or are you going to live in a way that really matters? As we close, here's the question just to consider as we head deeper into this series, looking at some specific areas. Do I trust Christ enough to give all my life fully to him? Like I said, in the coming weeks, don't miss it. We're going to be looking at some specific areas around this idea. How do I give my mind? How do I give my time? How do I give my body? How do I give my relationships? How do I give my money fully to Jesus and steward them for his glory? We sure hope that you can join us in these next weeks. Make the commitment to be here. Because listen, this is who we want to be. This is who we really want to be because we believe when we give ourselves fully to him, that is where the joyful, abundant life comes from. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for the reminder because it's just so easy to be so self-focused. I confess that to you. So easy for me to be self-focused, entitled. think this life is all about me. We thank you for the reminder today that it's all about you. And I pray above everything else that each of us in this room will see that not as a burden, but as an opportunity, as staggering generosity, the people you've put in our lives, the time you've given us, the resources you've given us. These are all opportunities to invest in your kingdom. So we hold our hands loosely starting today. And we look forward to what you want to teach us in the upcoming weeks about how we truly can live as whole life stewards for your name, for your kingdom, for your glory. And everybody agreed and said. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.